1: They say we're lucky to have survived Typhoon Yolanda But each day since was a struggle We don't know how we were to survive and we feel our hardships have even doubled Sure we have a house made of stone But the consequences that come with having no running water
2: and a stable
1: livelihood Are something we've had
2: to face each day this November marks 10 years since Super Typhoon Haiyan, locally named Yolanda, tore through eastern Visayas. Back then, the government vowed to build back better what was lost. But when we traveled to Tacloban City to speak to survivors of the deadly typhoon, we found many of them still reeling. I'm Bella Perez-Rubio, Puma Podcast, and you're listening to Teka, Teka Explains. In this episode, we take you to Tacloban City, across several relocation sites for survivors of Typhoon Hayan.
3: Ako si Marian Blanza, 34 years old. Nakatira sa ano, barangay 54
2: we stumbled across Marian and her family while walking along the coastline. The first house we're seeing, it looks like it's clearly been ravaged by, I'm guessing, a storm. Barangay 54A on Magallanes Street is a row of mostly abandoned houses. On
1: top of what used to be a house, there are tiles.
2: Concrete skeletons clearly ravaged by Yolanda. It's a few meters away from the sea. One of the main objectives of the government's socialized housing program in Tacloban is to move residents away from vulnerable coastal areas. But Marian told us she moved back to her old home after just
1: three years at a
2: relocation site.
1: Actually, we have a house in Villa Diana. There are problems. Like, it's quite substandard because the roof leaks and so does the wall. When the rain is strong, the water leaks through the hollow blocks so it floods in the house too.
3: There's no finishing.
1: It's just hollow blocks. So when it rains for two days non-stop, the water leaks inside. It drips onto the floor, and our floor gets wet as well.
2: Vilja Deiana is one of the sites built by the National Housing Authority as part of the government's Yolanda Permanent Housing Program. But the problems Marian mentioned aren't even the worst ones.
1: We don't have running water. And the problem is, during the summer, no one delivers water. When we have it brought here, one container costs us 10 pesos, and it's an additional cost to have it delivered. So your 100 pesos. That's just 10 containers. Then you have to pay 50 pesos to the tricycle driver delivering it. And this is just water. The delivery of water is not every day. It's probably every two days. So we have to budget it. It's a big help to us when it rains.
2: We went to Deyana. It's a subdivision of tightly packed, mostly gray, single-story concrete houses. And all the residents we spoke to told us the same thing. They've had no running water since they moved in in
3: 2016. When we spoke to the NHA,
2: they said that ensuring access to running water in these housing units is the local government's responsibility. The rising cost of transportation was also brought up by the residents we spoke to in Tacloban. Like Marian. Many of them told us it's been eating away at their already meager
3: salaries.
1: So my husband works downtown at the Leyte Home Depot. And then I work at the Robinson's department store. But we lose out on the cost of commute if we commute every day to work. It's like we're wasting our money, which is why we chose to just stay here because this house hasn't been demolished yet because it's in private property. And while
2: moving back to their old home has helped them save some money, it's far from
1: ideal. When it rains and the wind is strong, I start to shake. The trauma is still there, but I try to put on a brave face and say I can take it. I have small children, so when I know the situation isn't good, we go back to our government housing unit. That's where we take shelter in the meantime, far from the sea. I just don't want a repeat of Yolanda. It still
2: hurts. The trauma runs deep. When Yolanda struck in 2013,
1: Marian lost her first child. My daughter was 5 years old. She's my eldest. She would have been 13 years old by now. (laughs) Mikaela! Mikaela was Marian's only
2: child at the time. She now has two more boys. Marian also lost her sister and her uncle to the typhoon. But life has been so hard since then that she's decided to move back to the coast. Back into the same house where she lost so much nearly a decade ago. Oo
3: oh, kasi sabi nga ta, sa ano, taong gipit, kakapit kahit na mahirap, kahit nandyan na yung trauma, yung phobia, baga lulunukhin ko na lang yun kaysa naman mahirapan kami doon kasi mahirap talaga doon. Sa taong gipit,
2: kakapit, kahit na mahirap. Those were Marion's words, better understood in English, as desperate people will hold on, even when it's hard. Earlier, you might have caught Marion using the term substandard to describe her Villa Diana home. It's a term that's plagued the Yolanda Permanent Housing Program for years now. Even Tocloban City Mayor, Alfred Romualdez, has said that 70% of the houses turned over by the NHA
1: are substandard. 70 to 75% are substandard. Since the mayor saw it, I would hope the local government would do something about it. Because after the construction, these houses are turned over to them. That's Professor Lady Len Mangada,
2: a professor at UP Tacloban who researches disaster recovery. She's published several studies on the Yolanda rehabilitation effort.
1: So the question still is. Why did they accept it, right? And then before that, you know that these are the kinds of houses and this many of them are going to be for Yolanda survivors. Where is the intervention of the city government? That's my question for them. So what makes these houses substandard? The septic tank fills up, the ceiling leaks, and then for some, we can see that the materials used for the walls aren't steel bar just wood. For the others, there was nothing at all. So it really cracks.
2: And then, as you heard Marian mention, there's the issue of location. As a livelihood,
1: So there, the livelihood, that's what's very sad because many of those who were relocated, their livelihood is related to the sea, to fishing. So they're adjusting a lot.
2: It's worth noting that these homes provided by the government have at least kept residents safe from the storms that have struck since Yolanda. But then again, the shortcomings are undeniable, especially when compared to the housing provided
1: by the private sector. But if we're talking about housing sponsored by professional organizations, development organizations, or corporations, it's quite nice. As they say, it's durable. But when it's government housing… That's really the problematic one for us, because even before it hit the three-year mark, there were already complaints. And so Carl, the audio editor who
2: joined me on this trip, and I, also visited several villages funded by the private sector. Generally, houses were bigger and further apart compared to the ones built by the NHA. They also just felt and looked more like communities. These relocation sites had homeowner associations, playgrounds, and daycare centers, to name a few. We went to three privately built and funded villages, namely Capuso Village, CRS Dreamville, and Pope Francis Village. Unlike government housing, these houses actually felt like homes, and not just places to seek refuge from the storm. The village funded by the GMA Capuso Foundation, in particular, caught us by surprise.
1: Nandito kami sa Capuso Village. So this is the first, parang community we've been to that actually feels like a community, de There
2: are playgrounds. There's a daycare center. There's a integrated health and social services center.
1: There's a library.
2: It feels like a village.
1: It feels very alive and uh, very lived in. So people have started to customize some of the units. So they're as small as the other units that we've seen, so other relocation sites. But the roads here are wider. My transportation system, my tricycle.
2: The roads aren't as rough. Everything's paved, unlike in some of the communities we've we've been to where there's no road. It's different. We're walking by a building that says women-friendly space. Not something we've seen in the three days that we've been going around relocation sites. Another privately funded subdivision was Pope Francis Village, which was built with the help of donors led by the Catholic Church. There, we met Neely Alona, a 52-year-old resident and employee of the village.
1: So, kami ay sa so, we're from the coastal area of Magallanes. After Yolanda, the Urban Poor Associates, or UPA, helped us. That's how we ended up here. Magallanes, Barangay 56 That's right.
2: She was originally from the same area as Marian. But unlike
1: her, Nelia never felt the need to move back. Okay naman, kasi hindi na kami I can say we're okay because we're no longer afraid. Rain or storm, we know we're safe here. So I don't worry anymore. I can say the housing here is good because I am one of the people who helped. I'm a purchaser. So the people who made our house, they're our beneficiaries. We helped each other. So I can say our housing is the
0: best.
1: We spoke to several Yolanda
2: survivors in the three days we spent in Tacloban. The sad truth is this. Only the residents living in privately funded housing felt that they had managed to build back better after Yolanda. But we also spoke to Constancio Antiniero. He's the National Housing Authority's regional manager for Eastern Visayas. And he told us there's a simple reason that the quality of government housing doesn't measure up to the private sector
0: we have the limited uh sources because implementation of the yolanda permanent housing program is under the socialized housing program of the government so the very first that we uh, implemented is a package of 290,000 that's a house and lot package so more or less the 290,000 is uh we have the specifications and we have our own standard so meaning to say the standard is not as comparable to the private sectors because what you can expect the 290,000 house and lot package. So the mayor said that's substandard yung implementation and it's not really substandard. We are just following the approved specification duly approved by the Department of Public Works and Highways as resilient houses.
2: Budget was admittedly tight for the housing packages for Yolanda survivors, as Engineer Antiniero says. But after Yolanda, large donations from all corners of the world poured in for survivors. So we asked the NHA about this, but they didn't seem to have a clear idea of how much of the foreign aid, if any, was being allocated to their housing project.
0: Uh, we propose for a project to the national government and the international government will have to fund our request based on the uh, available funds that uh, the government has. So we are just only a recipient of the funds that has to be downloaded to us based on our request for the implementation of the Yolanda. So it is not directly given to the national housing authority. The international fund. For the rehabilitation of the Yolanda, it's more...
2: Engineer Antiniero the says the estimated cost of a privately funded housing project is around
0: 500,000 pesos. So kung maghahanap tayo ng mga high-end product, so meaning to say we have to increase the costing. But then at the time, because the money that the LHC has is not sufficient to provide everything... We're not sufficient to provide the number of houses that the local government uh, keep on asking us. So that's why, on our end, we come up with a 290,000 house and lot package that is a bare housing unit. He also said
2: that the houses turned over by the NHA are meant to be starter housing units that beneficiaries can improve on. There's another problem too. As we approach a decade of Yolanda rehabilitation… Some survivors are still waiting on their houses.
0: Uh, Sad to say that uh, as of now, uh, it is not yet 100% completed. Now, actually, there are a lot of factors that hinders the completion of the Yolanda Permanent Housing Project because uh, first and foremost, we have 35 projects terminated. And then we have to do the rebid and uh, award it again. And we follow the uh, Republic Act 9184, the standard of uh, having the projects be implemented once again for the second time around. Uh, We cannot uh, deny the fact that uh, we have some developers who are not performing well, so we have to uh, terminate the project.
2: As of January, 2023, The NHA says there are 9,592 housing units that have yet to be turned over to beneficiaries. In the meantime, many of the beneficiaries are just scraping by, even the ones who have already received their houses. In fact, the situation is so dire for people like Marian that they have chosen to forego government housing altogether.
1: I guess if we had running water, and our situation was okay, we wouldn't have to go back to this place that has bad memories for us. Because who would want to go back here? But for as long as we hear that there are still no improvements in the resettlement areas, we'll stay here. At least we're closer to our workplace.
3: In the
2: aftermath of Yolanda, Professor Mangada says, plenty of experts proposed rehabilitation plans to the Tacloban City government. Some of these strategies vowed not just coastal protection, but economic recovery as well. It's unclear if they were ever implemented. When we asked NHA Regional Manager Constancio Antiniero about these proposals, he said he'd never heard of them.
0: Actually, I don't have any idea about that one because we are just concentrating on our resettlement site and have these people being resettled to our projects.
2: But Professor Mangada says a more thoughtful approach to the housing program could have made all the difference
1: housing actually. My stand on housing was the same as before. We really should have experimented more here in Takloban instead of putting everything in one area. We should have solicited help from engineers and architects on how to build a house near the sea instead of having to transfer everyone. Because building there was actually very costly. Just imagine, you construct a road, a school, a health center, everything. We should have entertained the idea of building a resilient house next to the sea. It would have been something we could show the world that this is the kind of housing that fits us, even after Yolanda, anticipating that storm like that can happen again.
2: When I spoke to Marian and other Yolanda survivors, the gravity of their problems made it seem like catastrophe had struck just 10 days ago rather than 10 years ago. It's hard to believe, too, that a decade later, many of their basic needs are left unmet, like access to running water, livelihoods, and proximity to their place of work. Does it really take an entire decade to learn these lessons? At the UN's annual climate summit last year, countries came to a historic agreement. They signed off on a loss and damage fund which is essentially a pot of money meant to help poorer countries recover from the impact of climate change. That covers destroyed farmlands and housing, for instance. But the project to rebuild post-Yolanda leaves us with many questions. For one, how will these funds be tracked? When money poured in after Yolanda, there were initial attempts to track these funds— But the foreign aid transparency hub set up under the Aquino administration was discontinued under Duterte. And then, of course, there's the point raised by Professor Mangada. Will professionals be consulted before these funds are spent? How do we ensure the rehabilitation actually improves the lives of beneficiaries and not cause them even more problems down the line? And that was today's episode of Teca, Teca Explains. Again, I'm Bella Paris Rubio. This episode is produced by Kat Ventura and edited by Carl Sayat. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to follow Teca, Teca News and Puma Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.